Listener Production. Hello, Sasha Barbagat with you for today's episode of The Briefing. Happy Valentine's Day. The stakes are higher than ever before when it comes to climate change. A recent paper by Australian scientists found the world has possibly already passed one and a half degrees of warming since the industrial era and will hit the two degree mark decades earlier than expected. And as we heard in yesterday's morning deep dive, the impacts are already being felt in Antarctica with potentially catastrophic consequences. Most people these days agree that climate change is real and they want to do everything they can to limit their impact on the environment. But are we actually making a difference? Social change is hard, it takes time, but it's good when you look back, you can actually see that we've come a long way. There's a long way to go, but the only way we'll get the change is if we keep pushing. In today's briefing, we look at whether we as individuals can truly move the needle on climate change, and if not us, then who? Before that, Antoinette Latouf is here with the headlines. It is Wednesday, February 14. G'day, everyone. Wild storms have lashed parts of Victoria, leaving half a million people without power. The wild weather hit Melbourne and the rest of the state yesterday afternoon following scorching heat. The wild winds brought down critical energy infrastructure like power lines and poles, as well as six transmission towers which collapsed. It meant just one coal-fired power station was running late yesterday. The last update from AMO, the energy regulator, at 8.30 last night confirmed 473,000 customers across Victoria remained without power and it could take days, if not weeks, to get electricity back to everyone. Yeah, massive outage, Antoinette. It says two emergency warnings remain current for bushfires burning out of control in the Grampians in the northwest of the state. Five firefighters were injured yesterday fighting a blaze near Pomonal. The CFA confirming their truck was involved in what's called a burnover. The state's emergency minister, Lily D'Ambrosio, says this is one of the largest outage events in the state's history. Crazy. It is wild. And I guess people will be getting their candles out, not quite for the romantic Valentine (laughs) they may have had envisaged, but because they have no other choice. Yeah, that's right. Ceasefire talks have resumed between Israel and Palestine in Cairo. Israel is under mounting international pressure after undertaking strikes and raids on the city of Rafah in the south of Palestine, where as many as one and a half million refugees have gathered with nowhere else to go. The Cairo talks, including Israel, Egypt, the United States and Qatar, resumed overnight. US President Joe Biden joined other international leaders, including Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, in condemning the Rafa offensive. Qatar and Egypt are leading the negotiations. Yeah, so the talks in Cairo are said to be progressing well, despite Israel rejecting a Palestinian offer of a ceasefire deal last week. So that proposed ceasefire was phasing it out over four and a half months, during which all hostages would go free and Palestinians in prison in Israel returned. But Israeli PM Benjamin Netanyahu had called that delusional. Almost 30,000 Palestinians have been killed. That's not accounting for those still beneath the rubble. That's since October 7, when 1,200 Israelis died when Hamas militants stormed into Israel. 130 of 234 hostages seized by Hamas remain unaccounted for. And Sasha, I did find it um, a little 
I don't know, I'm going to say strange, peculiar, I don't know the word for it, but there was an ad played during the Super Bowl taken out by the Israeli government and it was like bring them home, referring to the fathers, the, the hostages, you know, and many, everybody would agree we, we should bring them home. This is a few days after refusing a ceasefire in which the offer was on the table to bring these fathers and daughters and sons and everybody else home. Mm, I think it's uh, it's clear Benjamin Netanyahu has one objective and it is clear as well that there's growing pressure on him to relent and maybe look at a different option. Ticketek has confirmed some customers have had their accounts hacked and their Taylor Swift tickets stolen and resold by fraudsters. How awful. It follows multiple reports of people logging into their accounts only to find their tickets were gone days out from the first era's shows kicking off in Melbourne. It is believed hackers have used what's called credential stuffing, which they get people's info from other platforms and try to guess their password. While AFP Commander Chris Goldsmith says in some cases, even our online friends can't be trusted. Scammers may be posing as helpful neighbours and friends on residential or suburb community pages, selling tickets to unsuspecting and enchanted fans. In some cases, the scammer has hacked the social media account to make contact with potential victims. So those unsuspecting yet enchanted fans would be thrilled that they feel they've gotten their hands on these very coveted tickets. Mm. And Ticketek hasn't revealed just how many customers have been affected, but it is establishing pop-up stands outside the MCG in Melbourne and Sydney's Accor Stadium in the days leading up to the shows to help people who may have been affected this is really awful. We know scammers come and pray where people are desperate. We know so many were desperate to get their hands on Taylor Swift tickets. Either way, it's going to end in heartbreak for some. Yeah, and it'd be so sad too because this is relying on people checking their accounts as well in a lot of cases. So if you haven't checked your accounts, you could be showing up on Friday in Melbourne to scan your ticket and going oh, wait, where is the ticket? It's not there. And it's worth noting more than 4 million people have tried to buy a ticket to one of Tay's seven shows. So as you said, people are desperate. My community Facebook page is full of people saying, does anyone have your show tickets? Anyone, please, please. So people want them. And it's really sad that once again, scammers have come and ruined the party. And apologies for this one if you're eating breakfast, you've been warned. Health authorities in New South Wales and Queensland are urging people who have diarrhoea to avoid swimming after spiking cases. The bug, Cryptosporidius, is usually picked up in chlorinated water where it can survive for days. And this year alone, there have been just shy of 500 cases reported in New South Wales. And remember, this year's only, what, one and a half months old, and more than 730 in Queensland, Antoinette. Sasha, I do love me a good segue from diary to those dear to our hearts. Let's talk <laughs> about Valentine's Day. So we put a question up in our broadcast channel on Instagram, which is behind the briefing, asking you, our wonderful listeners, what you thought about Feb 14 and whether you celebrate. At Gloria Galore, fabulous handle, by the way, mm. says she uses it as an excuse to spoil her partner with time rather than roses. Good idea. Roses are so exy on Valentine's Day. At Chrissy Betty Photo said it is the worst day to go to a restaurant. Hard agree. <laughs> Don't love me a set menu, an overpriced set menu. Mm-mm. At Lol said commercialised love isn't love. I don't know. I beg to disagree. I love a, I love a diamond. I love me some commercialism. At Amal.Paul agreed, saying it's a cash grab for big corporations. Well, yeah, obviously. But I think it's a nice excuse to 
just, you know, say to that person, oh, love ya, you know, whether it's a friend, whether it's your partner, whether it's your mum or your dad, whatever. Well, we just heard from our fabulous producer that you apparently shouldn't say happy Valentine's Day if it's not to your romantic partner because it's bad luck. Yeah, which is news to me. So we already said it to each other. So maybe we're going to have a year of bad love lives. Mm. I hope not. Look, I like this one. Listener at hand.liz told us she and her partner call it kebab day. <laughs> they go and grab one and they have a picnic, which I is fabulous. So yeah, an excuse to just, you know, maybe just pay a little bit more attention to that significant other. What about you, Sasha? Because I'm pretty terrible. I forget. Like this morning I woke up as, as we do super early to bring you the news, guys. And I always lay out my clothes to get ready. And I saw a gift and a rose there for oh. me. And my reaction was, oh shit, it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> well, I knew it was happening. That's lovely, by the way. Your husband's a keeper. Yeah. Um, I don't think my husband knows that it's Valentine's Day today. And I'm going away tonight. So we, and he's asleep. I'm like, I get up at three. Yeah. So he's dead asleep. And I was like, should I like give him a little kiss before I go? I was like, no, he's fast asleep. I doubt he'll acknowledge it. But you know what? That's just us. It's not a, I'm not begging him for attention on Valentine's Day. So we've just kind of let it fall by the wayside. However, we did celebrate when we were first going out, but I was 18. So that's probably why. (laughs) Uh, Thank you everyone for your responses and for engaging with us on Behind the Briefing. If you haven't joined yet, you can do so on our Insta page at The Briefing Podcast. Our second ep today as well is with Chanel Contos and it discusses why we should give the gift of consent this Valentine's Day. All right, now let's get into the deep dive where we ask, are the things we do to be green at home really making a difference to climate change? I'm sure most people listening to this are conscious of recycling. Many of you probably backed the supermarket ban on plastic bags and Macca's decision to ditch plastic straws. Maybe you aspire to own an electric car or get solar panels at your place. You might have a worm farm, meticulously separate your rubbish and catch public transport when you can. Maybe you're like me and feel the burden of trying to do everything you can to limit your impact on the environment as much as possible, worried about the future of our planet. We do these things with the best intentions, hoping it's making a difference. But is it? Can we truly expect that using a bamboo straw or reusing a plastic bag is going to drive down the effects of climate change? Well, we here at The Briefing wanted to find out, not as a way to dissuade you from being green in your own life, but to reveal who we really need to be holding to account and what we can do ourselves to help fight climate change. Joining me now is Amanda McKenzie, the CEO of Climate Council. Amanda, thanks for your time today. Do you think there's more pressure than ever before on us as individuals to make a difference when it comes to slowing down climate change? I think people are witnessing climate change very clearly all around us now from terrible flooding events that happen over and over again to extraordinary heat or the black summer fires that happened a few years ago. So people are very worried about the climate crisis and we all want change. And I think people have been extraordinarily disappointed with the previous coalition government doing nothing. So everyone wants to participate and do something. What I find the biggest question is, what do I do beyond the sort of laundry list, feeling like it's overwhelming and too much? Yeah. Okay. Let's look at that laundry list. So I threw this around with some colleagues recently when we first started working on this story and went, what are kind of some of the things that we are doing ourselves And are they making a difference? Um, You know, ditching plastic straws, using recyclable shopping bags, buying an EV, composting, having a worm farm, turning the lights off when you're not in a room. 
those are all examples of ways that we're kind of told, hey, do this and you'll make a difference. Are we? So our analysis shows that in terms of the biggest difference that a person can make, it's about where you're getting your energy from. So either green power, buying from an energy retailer, green power, or putting panels on your roof. That's the biggest thing you can do with energy. Of course, using it smarter is good too, using um, better appliances and turning off lights and things too. But importantly, where are you getting that energy from? Is it renewables? Then secondly, it's about transport. So thinking about using less petrol overall. So EVs where it's accessible to you, but also more fuel efficient cars. We're arguing that the government needs to be bringing in a fuel efficiency standard, which would make more fuel efficient vehicles much more available to Australians and would save us money in petrol as well as um, less emissions. There's lots and lots of things you can do. You can also do the composting and using less plastics and other things. But the things that makes the most difference from an emission standpoint is that energy question and the transport question. Can you explain to us what greenwashing is and what impact that has on consumer behaviour? So greenwashing is basically when a company pretends that their product or service is climate friendly, environmentally friendly, but it is not. It's all a marketing spin. I think that where it has been found out, it's really undermined the trust in that company. And it's just difficult for consumers. I think day to day, we're all out there trying to do our best to make the right decisions about the products we buy. But it goes to why regulation is really important. Governments need to be regulating what consumers are purchasing because we can't all be making individual changes. You can't go down the supermarket aisle every day. Even when you go to the egg aisle, like there's 40 different types of eggs, which is the one that I buy. So I suppose that takes me to the next point, which is the most important thing you can do is probably about your voice. Like there's the consumer decisions that you can make, but it's actually about getting politically active, contacting your political representatives at the local, state, federal government level, sharing information with your friends and family, engaging in those online conversations contacting journalists when they um, put out really dodgy pieces of um, (laughs) dodgy articles or a company that you see doing something dodgy. I think we can all be participants in our democracy and that's actually what is really required right now. Mm, It kind of sounds like that's the main area that we can affect change. Aside from you mentioned, you know, things like EVs and solar panels, but really when it comes down to it, me using a bamboo straw versus me writing to my local MP, well, there's one that's going to have a bigger impact in the long run and that's probably writing to my MP. I wanted to look at recycling as an example of something that we do at home to try and be greener and I'd say most of our listeners would participate at least in some form of recycling. You know, most of us do it, we expect that that waste gets transported and turned into something else and we're doing the right thing and we're having a positive impact. But it wasn't that long ago that we were seeing those images out of Southeast Asia with piles and piles and piles and piles of Australian waste just sitting there doing absolutely nothing. Then, of course, there was the Red Cycle fiasco. It was revealed that soft plastics were sitting in warehouses. The company went bust because it couldn't figure out how to recycle what it had been given. There was such huge uptake. We wanted to believe that these products were going to the right place. So my question is, what's the point then? What's the point in us doing something like recycling? 
think that was really devastating, each of those revelations. For many people who were trying to do their bit, um, I found it myself as well. I think that it is important to recycle and obviously it needs to actually be recycled, which again goes to making sure that we're holding companies to account, making sure that we're talking to our politicians, elected representatives, asking them to do what we want. The squeaky wheel gets the grease and who are the advocates out there that are making the most noise are the ones that get action. So I think it's collaborating with others that are are doing this work. The Climate Council is one of them, but there's many other advocacy organisations that people can become part of, either by donating or donating their time, being part of the campaigns. Because if we don't have enough of a voice, we can't get the systemic change that we need to make sure that these things are happening properly. So it doesn't, it's important that we all do our little bit, but let's make sure those little bits count by having that systemic change at the same time. I wanted to ask the question then with the examples I've given in terms of things that we as individuals are doing, is it a case of literally everyone in the world needing to do all of those things for them to be useful and successful in driving down climate change? No, you don't need to be doing everything and you don't need to be involved in every aspect. I think it will depend on where you are in your life stage, in your capacity, your um, your wealth, all of those sorts of things come into it and what you can contribute. So I, I think it's about finding where you get bang for your buck, if you like. So if you're wanting to make individual changes to your lifestyle, think about where you get your energy. It should be renewables. And think about how you're transporting yourself using less petrol are the two things to think about. Do all the other things too if you want to, but they're the things that will have the most impact. And then where you have the time, capacity, interest, using your voice is going to be critical and having more and more Australians using their voice is how we will get change. We're having a big debate about the fuel efficiency standards at the moment and, of course, some in the car industry, the petrol industry is there saying, no, no, we don't need fuel efficiency standards. We want Australia to continue to be the dumping ground for inefficient vehicles. This is the sort of time where we need the community to be calling their politicians and say, we want this thing. We don't want as much air pollution. We want to tackle climate change because politicians don't hear enough from average citizens that are all feeling this way but aren't communicating necessarily with them. Tell us how we can put pressure on those companies and governments to make the changes that we need to see. You can do it individually if you want by emailing, calling officers, etc. or you can be part of a bigger campaign. So joining organisations like the Climate Council, the Australian Conservation Foundation, there's lots of groups that are working on climate change now and are executing campaigns for change and having a lot of success. So being part of that can often be easier. But if you don't want to get too political, you can also be doing things in your local area Things like the local school, can you be getting panels on the roof of the school? There are opportunities to do things in the local area, but I think the most important thing at this stage is just like let's raise our voices up and make ourselves as noisy as possible that we need change and we need it fast. Look, before we let you go, I wanted to ask the question because listening to all this, it can feel really heavy, uh, particularly Mm. for listeners who are millennial or Gen X or even Gen Z who feel really helpless when it comes to the climate fight. But can you share with us any sort of hope that we can affect change in the coming decades and that things can get better? Yeah, I really resonate with that that feeling and feeling overwhelmed. Like I've got little kids, I'm thinking about what their future is and we are seeing these disasters happening here and around the world. What gives me hope is I've now been working on climate change for about 17 years 
And there's so much change in that time. Um, and I remember people saying um, when we got to the sort of a million solar panels, oh, we never could have believed that Australia would get to a million solar panels so quickly. Well, there were people dreaming about that. There were people dreaming about that that said we want to see a million solar panels on roofs. And if you don't have people dreaming about it and thinking about what's impossible, you won't get there. So I like to think of myself as, you know, a dreamer and bringing people together to advocate for change to get make those dreams a reality. So it all seems impossible until it's done. I think that was a, a Nelson Mandela quote. Social change is hard. It takes time. But it's good when you look back, you can actually see that we've come a long way and um, there's a long way to go. But the only way we'll get the change is if we keep pushing. The way we definitely won't get the change is if we all go into our hidey holes and um, pull the doona over our head, right? Do one thing. You don't have to do everything. What is one thing that you're not doing now that you think would be effective? And start doing that and then reevaluate it in a few months' time. It doesn't have to be the be all end all, the, the one thing that's going to save the world. It has to be one thing that gets us further down the path. That was the Climate Council's Amanda McKenzie there. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's topic. Let us know by sending us a message on Instagram. Just search the briefing, give us a follow, and shoot us a DM. That's all for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. The afternoon briefing will be back as ever, the Savo at three. Listener.